Western Europe is seemingly on fire and our president is using it as an opportunity to push his political agenda. Plus, do the Democrats actually have a chance to win in November? They seem to think so. We'll take a look at all of the issues surrounding that. Plus, where is Paul Runyon headed for his next 10-star vacation? I can't wait to find out. I'm sure you can't either. It's July 25th. Come and join us for another Midnight Ride. One hundred and six days until the most critical midterm elections of our lives happen November 8th. You're listening to another edition of the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. I'm joined by Paul. Paul, you can tell I've been sick all week, but I'm still being a trooper. How was your week? Well, I'm glad you're feeling a bit better. I I appreciate you not leaving me hanging like that. Doing the podcast alone would just not be the same. I don't know how we could how I could match you doing the intro doing in the doing the segments. My week has been good, but I'm looking even more forward to what's coming next week and that uh, my wife and I are celebrating our anniversary. We are jetting off to France for a week, going to go to Paris and Champagne. And I appreciate, I know you gave me, just ever, for everybody's uh, knowledge, Connor is a Best Western Platinum member, I think. And, <laughs> and uh, has- Very true. Yeah, and it's been kind enough to give me uh, recommendations for where to stay in Paris. So, you know, I think I got my my <laughs> some free breakfast, maybe some frosted flakes with some some uh, low fat milk in the morning. Uh, we an Eiffel Tower shaped waffle. Yeah, an Eiffel Tower shaped waffle would be great. And I think it's only uh, what about an hour to get into Paris from the best from that Best Western that you told me <laughs> with no with no traffic. So. I've never, I've never been there. I, I, I'm going to be jealous. You know, the Runyon family and the Coughlin family. You know, the wives know each other. So whenever your lovely wife is posting things on social media, I always get from my wife, "Hey, how come we can't go to some of these places?" You know, and it's like, well, you know, we we're thinking about packing up the car and going to Arkansas or something, and and she just she's not as excited about Arkansas, which is absolutely beautiful part of the country, but it's not Paris. It's not Champagne. So you have fun with that, Paul. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be uh, watching you living vicariously through you. How about that? It should be a good trip. We're going to also to Champagne to see some of the, go to the Champagne houses. It'll be uh, really interesting. You know, in order to make the trip though, <laughs> there's all kinds of rules now when you, you know, with COVID and everything. So I had to go to the French embassy to figure out what was going on. And I, I came across an interesting thing. There was actually a Bastille Day reception, which for those of you that don't know Bastille Day, that was sort of our equivalent to July 4th. I think it was when uh, France had its independence or something like that. I don't remember what the, the exact reason is, but that's not important. What's important is that the United States uh, went to this Bastille Day reception at the embassy in Washington. We sent our official representatives, obviously wanting to put our best foot forward. And it was uh, quite a picture to see two men. First was Admiral Rachel Levine. Formerly Richard. Yep, formerly Richard. And then the other representative to the United States was a man by the name of Deputy Assistant Secretary of Nuclear Energy, Sam Brinton. And what was interesting about that picture was, was Mr. Brinton was in a, a short blue dress with some high heels and a necklace and was bald with a bald head. And I guess, I guess Mr. Brinton has decided that he's non-binary or neither sex or something. So, so that's who we sent to celebrate Bastille Day. The nation we owe our independence to. And I mean, America would not exist were it not for the French, one of our strongest allies and their biggest holiday. And we send these two clowns. I mean, is it any wonder that the Biden administration and really America right now is a laughing stock? I'm really not surprised. And I, I don't know if you ever saw the that show uh, John Adams. I think it was on HBO with Paul Giamatti. I remember a scene where he went to France to talk about 
something or another. I don't remember what it was for. And he goes there and he sits down and the, all the Europeans, they all have this make, they're wearing makeup and these wigs and these white faces. And here he shows, you know, he's in the middle of a revolutionary war trying to get support <laughs> and they're completely out of touch. And let's remember those were countries on the decline back then. I mean, maybe this is symbolic of what's happening with our country. I mean, the Chinese and the Russians, do you think that that the Bastille Day receptions going on in Beijing, uh, you know, at the French embassy included uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party members and leaders dressed like women? Uh, no. Uh, and we can talk about, you know, what would happen to people like Richard Levine and, and this Sam Brinton guy if they were in China or Russia. I'm not, I'm certainly not going to, I mean, this is America, the land of the free, but when people have mental illness or, or, serious issues, you don't promote them to positions like this where they're in charge of, you know, nuclear power or, you know, the health of our children. And as we've seen many times with Levine, he's leading the government charge to advocate for puberty blockers and permanent damaging surgeries for children. This is embarrassing. And speaking of France, I mean, France is uh, one of these countries that has major wildfires going on. I'm, uh, hopefully it's not where you're headed. Later on in our second segment, we're going to talk about some of the, the heat waves going across Europe and how leftist activists are, are demanding climate action. Wait, Connor, are you saying it's, wait, it's hot in the summer? That's so weird. What? I don't, I don't get it. It's, wow. <laughs> well, but these are record level, these are record temperatures. I mean, England went over 100, they're at 104, I think, last week, which is an all-time record. So people are getting alarmed. The administration is pushing it. We'll talk about that in the second segment. The first segment, though, we want to talk about the midterms. And, you know, it's, it's funny you bring up this story about, about these two men dressing like this, because I think as the Biden administration is looking out at November and the landscape, two months ago, it was looking like a red tsunami. Now it's a red wave, but it's it's I feel like it's trending toward the Democrats for a couple of reasons. One, the Uvalde shooting. Two, the Dobbs ruling. And maybe three, this climate change thing now. So again, you never count your chickens before they're hatched. You never Well, no, you don't. You don't, Connor. You don't count your chickens before you hatch. And the the Democrats are getting even uh, more serious in trying to relate to uh Americans by uh recently passing a gay marriage bill in the House. That's what I mean. So the Dobbs thing is exactly, they use that to sound the alarm. And, you know, there's there's a lot of women and young women particularly, well, just feminists and, and women of all ages that vote only on this one issue. But they've managed to expand that with the help of Clarence Thomas by saying, look, these privacy provisions that, aren't mentioned in the Constitution, as pointed out by the Supreme Court in the Dobbs ruling, this could extend to a lot of different things. And the Obergefell ruling was immediately mentioned. So they passed this law, or they passed this, the House passes this bill trying to make, you know, secure gay marriage. You want to talk about what that bill actually does? Well, I mean, it does codify, similar to what they were trying to do with, with abortion, it codifies a right to same-sex marriage. And, you know, frankly, do I have a major issue with it? You know, do my personal views get sort of involved there? I guess so, but I'm not one to stop it. I mean, I don't, look, I, they, Politico had some quotes from some interesting senators because they had a conversation about how is this going to, is this going to get through the Senate? Because there were 47 Republicans, I believe, that actually voted for the bill in the House. And uh, so they, they, you know, of course, you have to get over the filibuster. So they tried to get some quotes. And Senator Tommy Tuberville, great senator, one of my favorites, former coach of Auburn and uh, <laughs> fine American, says, quote, says he, he sees no need for legislating on gay marriage, but then adds, I'm all about living life the way you want to. It's a free country. Do you support gay marriage? Yeah, if that's what you want to do, fine. So you know, I don't have a problem with it. The one thing I do like, though, is our system of government. And if the House and the Senate and the pass this bill and the president signs it, good for America. You know what? That's that's how we work. 
And that's how the bill was passed. And it's nice to get back to like traditional, real gay issues instead of transgender issues, which are really mental health issues. So this could be a whole nother. I'll just briefly say at the time when the Democrats redefined the definition of marriage, a definition that had been in existence for hundreds and hundreds of years predating the United States, maybe thousands of years. Some people said at that time, be careful what you do because this will become a slippery slope and you will have things like polyamorous people marrying multiple people. You will have people marrying children, which they already do in animal. Animals. Maybe animal. Can people marry animals? And people are going to laugh at us, but we've already seen those same kind of things in the society, maybe not asking for marriage, but we see people say, I'm a minor attracted person. I am actually a cat. I am actually this, actually that. And so it's coming. If, if you don't hold the line on this, who knows what's coming next? I mean, our society is literally losing its mind. I mean, people on TikTok and, and you know, all these young folks are just discovering and inventing new things every day. And I, I don't think... I mean, I think half the people on TikTok inventing these new things are doing it just to get views on TikTok. But, you know, it but really goes yeah. down to their need for attention. But it's taking, you know. So this bill, this this uh, gay marriage bill, who knows whether it passes or not, but clearly they're, they're drawing these lines in the sand for the election issues. They're doing that with abortion as well. And clearly part of their strategy, as we saw last week, as a couple members of the squad and Caroline... Maloney of New York City, AOC, and I think Ilhan Omar all got arrested for show in front of the Supreme Court. Well, they, yeah, they stayed, it was kind of a fake arrest. It was funny how they both, you know, her, AOC and uh, Omar both had their hands behind their back pretending like that, that they were handcuffed, but they weren't really. Yeah. And then, and then as they're walking out, AOC pulls out her, her fist and does like the Che Guevara salute wait a minute, I thought you were just handcuffed. And then she puts it back behind her back. I know, I think she's like, oops, oops, I forgot. Everybody thought I was handcuffed. But I mean, it's her friends with the Capitol Police that are gently taking her out. It was all by design to rile up the base. They're riling up the base on gay marriage. They're riling up the base on transgender. That, that Bastille Day thing was no mistake. They're riling up the base on guns and they're riling up the base on abortion rights. And so- we have seen a swing in the polling data. We talked this, we alluded to this last week that the Republicans' odds are are getting a little bit slimmer. I mean, they still have an advantage in many ways, but let's talk about the current state of affairs, what's going to go down in 106 days, and which candidates are kind of at the epicenter of where this fight is going to be. All right, so let's get to the bottom of this. I've got all the data right in front of me. Uh, what you had just said about what the Democrats are doing, bringing up all those issues, seems to have given them a bump in the polls a little bit. I don't know if that's going to be momentary or not, or as Joe Biden liked to say about inflation, transitory, which of course it wasn't. But they, none of those issues really impact everyday lives. So it's not, you know, let's be honest here, we're not talking about the economy and things like that. But we've got the the battle for the Senate right now. I like to look at three different things when I do my analysis. So I go to Real Clear Politics to go look at what they have. They they sort of take all the polls together and make predictions that way based on taking those averages. Um, you've got Predict It, which is this sort of Washington, D.C.-based betting market where people can place bets on almost like stock trades on various outcomes. So you've got that one. And then you've also got, obviously, which I think is your your favorite and my favorite, which is the Vegas odds. And uh, certain casinos do post odds for uh, for U.S. elections. They also do it in the United Kingdom. So that's interesting, too. So what we have here is, you know, the House right now, everybody kind of predicts that that's um, going to go to the Republicans, kind of no matter what happens. Based on real clear politics, at this point, they've got 223 seats that are either leaning Republican or solid Republican. Then you've got uh, 179 seats, which are leaning Democrat or solidly Democrat. And then you've got 33 toss-ups in the middle. 
A lot of those toss-ups are in states that are already held by Democrats, obviously, since they do control the House. They're in places like, uh, you know, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, kind of all over the country, New Hampshire. So you've got you've got a big mix there. And as far as the House goes, you've got uh, predict it is saying right now that you've got uh, an 88 percent chance of the Republicans taking control of the House. And then in Vegas, you've got a 63 percent chance uh, of the Republicans winning the House. And uh, so it's actually right now it's a Republicans are minus a thousand. So you'd have to from a betting standpoint, you would have to actually bet a thousand dollars to win a hundred. And uh, the Democrats are at plus five fifty. So if you bet a hundred dollars, you would win five fifty if they kept control. So nobody's really saying at this point that the Republicans are going to lose the House here. So I, I don't really think that that's going to happen no matter what. The Senate is where things get really interesting. That's where you know we're really kind of not sure what's going to happen because you know one third of the seats in the Senate are up. The way they're looking at it right now in real, real clear politics is you've got Republicans, you've got 47 seats that are kind of solid or leaning Republican, 46 seats solid uh, are either leaning or uh, solidly Democrat. These seats are not up, right? I mean, every year there's only 33 or exactly. 34 seats. So this is just the state of affairs that at the end of this election. It's the state of affairs. Yes. There's really only... You know, you've got four seats that are either like currently up this year that are likely Democrat or lean Democrat. And that's uh, Tammy Duckworth in Illinois, Donang Dick Blumenthal in Connecticut. You probably, <laughs> I think everybody remembers him by he was pretending that he was in the Vietnam War when he wasn't. Yep. And, and then you, you got a couple and, you know, you've got Patty Murray in Washington. You got one other. The uh Alaska or uh, those are all safe. They're all going to be reelected. Those are all safe Dems. Yeah. On the on the Republican side, you've got four seats that lean GOP or likely GOP. Um, you've got an open seat in Missouri. You've got Rubio, uh, which says lean GOP. I can almost guarantee you that that is a likely GOP. I don't see how Rubio could lose that seat. Let's hope. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, an open seat in Ohio where where. So where Portman is retiring um, and then you've got Lisa Murkowski, who is that's the solid GOP, which kind of wish that we had somebody else in that seat, unfortunately. Um, then you've got some toss ups. So you've got Mark Kelly in Arizona. Probably, you know, that's going to be a tough one. You've got Warnock uh, in Georgia, who's running against Herschel Walker. I'm a big fan of Herschel Walker. I love Georgia football. I can't really, you know, they did beat Michigan, but I still like them as a program anyway. I like Herschel. He's a good guy. He is. He is. Right. The, the latest polls have Warnock ahead by a little bit. But remember, this is all about turnout. Um, then you've got, I think the other one, you've got Cortez Masto and Nevada is a toss up. Uh, the Democrat. I think Nevada is really starting to to turn red. So I could see us having a surprise there. You've got an open seat in Pennsylvania where Dr. Oz is running against uh, the lieutenant governor there, Fetterman. I wish Dr. Oz was doing a better job campaigning. Um, He's got a great, great name for himself, great policies. I just don't quite understand his... uh, That that one looks like a tough one to me. Fetterman... Yeah. Fetterman seems like a man of the people. Dr. Oz has the endorsement of President Donald Trump, which in that state goes a long way. That one's going to be close. Let me point out a couple of things that we should be thinking about here. I hope you're right about the House. By the way, yesterday I just completed my my ballot for the primary in my state, and I'm getting ready for November 8th. Wait, you com- wait, you actually completed the ballot yourself? You didn't have— Yep. A community group didn't do it for you? Well, I mean, there were a couple that volunteered to do it, but I said, no, I'm good. So I'm excited about this, but— But I also have been saying for a very long time, do not start celebrating, you know, it's it's like that, you know, Leon Lett, you know, running down to the, you know, in the Super Bowl with nothing but gold, nothing but green in front of him. And, you know, Don Beebe saying, you know what, I think I have a chance to stop this. 
Yeah, most pe- most of our younger audience won't even know what you're talking about. But well, you, you you've all seen football players spike the ball before they actually cross the goal line or something like that. Make sure you you secure the victory first before you start celebrating, because as I pointed out, the slightest little thing. Remember, I mean, Donald Trump likely would have been reelected if it wasn't for COVID or Officer Derek Chavin leaning on George Floyd's neck for that long. I mean, anything can happen. And we've seen with the Dobbs case, the Uvalde shooting. The Uvalde shooting is, you know, is a horrible tragedy and the cowardice over over 100 police officers who didn't go in and open that unlocked door. That is giving the Democrats an emotional plug, an emotional pull. So the odds are changing. They're shifting. I hope we win the House. But this is... this. Yeah, the Senate is an interesting one because we've got, so if, if the Republicans have 47 seats, either leaning or or likely, right? So that means they've got to win four to take control. And if you look at the toss-ups, you have Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. To me, I think that's going to be tough. I can see them winning North Carolina. I think Ted Budd is great. I think they're going to win that. Um, I could see Masto losing in Nevada. I could potentially see, uh, you know, I think Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is going to win. But I think Pennsylvania is going to be tough. I think New Hampshire is going to be tough with Hassan. I think Mark Kelly is probably going to get reelected. So I I mean, I see this thing going 50-50 again. I don't know. That's the way I look at it. There's two things that I, that I think we want to consider. Number one is fundraising, okay? The recent fundraising figures, the, the Democrats... Listen, they're good at this. And you've got a lot of people sitting on the sidelines back in the communist utopia of California that don't really have a dog in this fight, but they want to influence the election. And of course, our friends at Big Tech, Google, Twitter, and others, they're going to do their best to limit what information voters can see, as they did in 2020. But in the Georgia race that you mentioned, the last figures, and I don't have them handy, but I want to say that Warnock was out raising Walker by four to one. Okay. There's a very serious discrepancy in some of these battleground races where the Democrats have massive fundraising advantages. They do. And so, and as you said, so much of that money is coming in from out of state. I mean, it's all coming in from New York and California and George Soros and things like that. I mean, that's where Warnock's getting all his money. Again, the Democrats are the party of the few, of the elites, the billionaires, and they use that money to get votes any way they can. But these powerful people on the coasts are trying to tell the people of Georgia and Arizona and other places what's good for them. Now, here's the good news. We all remember the fiasco that was 2020. And, you know, a lot of people in state houses around the country remember that too. There have been. 17 states that have passed election integrity laws as a result of the debacle that was the 2020 election. Arizona, this one went all the way to the Supreme Court. The the Supreme Court upheld two laws that restricted organizations like the the kind of organizations we saw in the movie 2000 Mules, ability to collect mail-in ballots, as well as invalidating ballots that were cast in the wrong precinct. That's just Arizona. Well, let's not forget what happened in Wisconsin, too, where the the Wisconsin Supreme Court, I believe, struck down the ballot drop boxes, use of unmanned ballot drop boxes and ballot harvesting in Wisconsin. So that's going to change things. That's right. And we know that ballot harvesting was big in Wisconsin at some of those assisted living facilities. Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Arkansas, Montana, Tennessee, Texas, all of these states have passed laws which, in some cases, yes, do expand the number of days for early voting, et cetera, but they also have things like voter ID, which, by the way, is not controversial for Americans, okay? It's only leftists and activists that that say that that is unfair or that is racist somehow, but voter ID is one thing. Absentee ballots are being curbed a little bit. And if you do vote absentee, you, I think in Texas, you have to provide 
your driver's license number on the ballot. That's going to cut down on fraud. So if these 17 states are states that we're talking about, and Georgia is another one. Georgia famously, you know, President Biden called their law Jim Crow on steroids. They're terrified of these laws because they know that if they can't get away cheating with impunity, their margins are going to be cut severely. So I do think that the election integrity laws are going to reduce people like you and I getting disenfranchised by fake votes. Uh, will it be enough? I don't know. I think Republicans and, and Americans in general are mad as hell at what they're seeing with the almost intentional ineptitude by this administration. But the people on the left that want to kill babies or, you know, are concerned about gay marriage or transgender rights or want to, you know, want to live in a society that's gun free, they're now energized too. Where do you see this falling out? Uh, my prediction is that the Republicans outperform in the House. I think that they could have potentially upwards of maybe 265 seats in the House. Um, it's not quite enough for a supermajority, but I see a humongous red wave in the House. The Senate, I still see as having an issue. Um, I really think that there's going to be this problem because of the way some of these states are. I think they're going to do okay. I think I think we could end up at a 50-50 tie. Um, if things go their way, it could be 51. I see 50-50 as probably the worst case, but also most likely scenario for where this heads out. But let's remember, as far as President Biden's agenda goes, if we can take the House, then it sort of doesn't matter what the Senate what the Senate is, right? Um, it'd be nice to not see Chuck Schumer's face all the time, but spouting, you know, falsehoods like he does every day. But but it, do, does it matter though? Because if he can remember, if he's still only, they can go the nuclear option and try to eliminate the filibuster. And if they do that by changing the rules, and they only need to do that by if they have say fifty one votes or fifty two votes. Yeah, but if the Republicans control the House, it doesn't matter what what the Democrats do in the Senate, because nothing will make it through that. It doesn't? Well, no, because if the if the Democrats say, oh, we're going to get rid of the filibuster and start passing legislation 51-50 with Kamala Harris, you know, doing the deciding vote, it'll just go die in the House because the Republicans are going to have such a majority. It doesn't really matter. All, all the Republicans need is control of one one chamber. So packing the Supreme Court, they couldn't do it just with the Senate. No, couldn't do it just with the Senate. That's good news, but there are a lot of things that the Senate does control and, and Senate committees, et cetera, that are very important. Appointees is the biggest. Like appointees is the biggest one that where, you know, we want to be, because that the filibuster option there has already been nuked um, as we've seen. So Harry Reid. Exactly. So they can appoint and confirm appointees. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue. So I'd really like to win the Senate. Um, as far as large bills, I don't think you have to worry about like build back better bills like that going, getting through if the Republicans pass the house, but you're right. We do have to worry about, uh, appointees, but I, I, you know, I'd like to see us do this. I, I think the Republicans are much more motivated than the Democrats are. I think you might see huge turnout among Democrats on abortion in places like California, but I don't think it's I don't think it's really going to matter. So I think I think we're in pretty good shape for the midterms. I'm interested if anybody's interested, too. Um, there are some things out there. Uh, you know, there are still some odds on the uh, who's going to be kind of president. I think I think uh, you've got um, Donald Trump is still kind of the leader right now on president. I think it's uh, plus 190 that he's going to be the Democratic nominee. Kamala Harris at plus 450 Gavin Newsom at plus 600 Wait you're saying you're saying Joe Joe Biden Yeah sorry Joe for this for democratic nomination my apologies Yeah you said Donald Trump but we can't get Donald Trump out of our head I know he's like always in there so that that's for the nomination for the democrats If you want to lose some money go ahead and throw it down on Joe Biden we all know not only is he not going to be the nominee in 24 he may not even run 
he may not even complete his term. That's kind of where I am right now. Uh, what, what's it look like? On the, I think Newsom is a good bet. What, what's it look like for the Republican side? So we have on the Republican side, according to Vegas, we've got Donald Trump at plus 100, which is pretty much uh, even odds. This is for him to be the Republican nomination, the Republican nominee. So that means uh, you've got to bet 100 to win 100. Uh, Ron DeSantis coming in second in the Vegas odds at plus 200. And then it starts to really, really, the spreads start to widen out. So you've got Mike Pence at 1,100, Nikki Haley plus 1,800, uh, Pompeo at plus 3,300, Josh Hawley and Mitt Romney at plus 4,000, along with Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton. And then it go, Then they have some other names in there that just are super long odds. So Candace Owens, Christy Nome, George P. Bush, Charlie Baker from Massachusetts. Funny that Tucker Carlson's not in there because I've heard his name get batted around. I, I think, yeah, I've, some websites have him listed above some of those other folks. I like some of the long shot people. I mean, I like uh, Holly and Cotton and Candace Owens. and But yeah, Trump. And I love Dan Crenshaw's in there. He's in there. I'm a big Dan Crenshaw fan, by the way. I think he would make a great president. Uh, a lot of our ultra MAGA types May not agree, but uh, he, he, there's a guy who has shown courage under fire, and I think he has some consensus maker in him. Trump, Trump and DeSantis are the prohibitive favorites here. The bottom line is if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris runs, any of the names you just pointed out are going to have a great shot. Real quick on the Senate races, because we, we talked about Warnock and, and Walker. That, that's a race that I really think is going to be pivotal. If the Republicans want to maintain 50 or not lose seats, they're going to need to win that race. And we talked about the fundraising advantages. Walker, though, is not that far behind in the polling. And I think, you know, having a quote unquote pro-choice pastor in Raphael Warnock, Herschel Walker's got a shot here. What do you think, Paul? He does have a shot, although he has, I think, seemed to be not the best campaigner. He's being outraised by Reverend Warnock right now. I've also seen him be prone to gaffes. Uh, I think he talked something about our good China, our good air going over China's bad air or some ridiculous statement like that. So he's got, he's definitely got some issues, but he's got a, I think he's got great values. Uh, he's very, he can be very articulate at times. I think this race is really not going to come down to Warnock versus Walker, but I think it's really going to come down to how voters are feeling in Georgia with the economy and with everything else. I mean, what's interesting when you look at that spread is that Brian Kemp is five points ahead of Stacey Abrams in the governor's race. Uh, if you look at the latest polls, yet Walker is behind Warnock. And I almost thought it would be the opposite because Brian Kemp was being trashed by Trump. Stacey Abrams has high, high name recognition. I figured she would be in the lead. And then you've got this reverse where Warnock is beating Walker. So that it's really interesting. Georgia is just a complete toss-up. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But you're right, Connor. That race, I think, is going to decide the Senate. I think it's going to come down to that race as to whether we're going to have a 50-50 Senate still or we're going to have a Republican 51-49 advantage. So we're going to see. Right now, the uh, midnight ride election central, you know, our, our ownership is going up nationwide, but our two biggest states right now are Florida and North Carolina. I am a big Marco Rubio guy. Everybody needs to, to, in Florida, get out for him. This race in North Carolina, Ted Budd against Sherry Beasley. This is a, I think the, incumbent has left. And uh, this one is not um, a huge polling gap. I mean, Bud is leading, but it's not by a lot. D does Beasley have a shot there? And As somebody with a connection to North Carolina, it's funny that those are our two big states because we've got Florida and North Carolina with some interesting races. But on the Republican side, <clears throat> North Carolina has been cursed with these rhino Republican senators in Richard Burr and Tom Tillis, who just, you know, they've got R's next to them, their names, but not, not great. And, and Burr is resigning under a shroud of, of uh, or he's not running again, sort of under a shroud of disgrace. 
with some of the insider trading investigations that are going on with him with stocks. So that's not looking very good at all. But on the but North Carolina, let's remember Trump won North Carolina in 2020. Uh, Ted Budd, I think, is a great candidate. I think he's he's a great speaker. I think he's got a great vision for the state. I'm pretty confident that he beats Beasley. I, I don't see uh, in a mid uh, mid year election in a state that is generally red or pink. I just I don't see Beasley winning that seat over Ted Budd. And then it, Florida, of course, is the other uh, big state where you've got Rubio taking on Val Demings. Uh, Demings was the former police chief of Orlando. She recently has paused her campaign stops because she has COVID. I don't see her with much of a chance either. She's sort of playing this race card, uh, race baiting Democrat thing. I don't, you know, while she was former police chief, she doesn't seem to be very pro law enforcement in general. Uh, Rubio, I think, has stayed pretty popular in Florida. He's outspoken. Uh, I, I think he's going to cruise to victory there. Well, that's good to hear. And, and we want all the Midnight Riders to get out for both Bud and Rubio in the Senate races. If you're looking for a place to send money, Herschel Walker will take your $34 contribution. Remember, that was his jersey number at the University of Georgia and with the Cowboys and the Vikings, certainly. And, and Donald Trump's USFL New Jersey General. I'm mistaken, but we want... The New Jersey... Yes, New Jersey Generals, great player in the USFL. Yeah, so hopefully he, he can win that one. Also, Flores, don't forget about her in Texas, House 34. Speaking of Texas, very hot right now in Texas and all around the country, and really Europe and the rest of the world experiencing maybe an unprecedented heat wave. We're going to talk climate change when we come back on The Midnight Ride. The ferocious heat wave that is gripping much of the U.S. South and West has highlighted an uncomfortable, ominous trend. People are continuing to flock to the cities that risk becoming unlivable due to the climate crisis. Some of the fastest growing cities in America are among those being roasted by record temperatures, baking more than 100 million Americans under some sort of extreme heat warning. More than a dozen wildfires are engulfing areas from Texas to California and Alaska with electricity blackouts feared for places where the grid under severe strain. San Antonio, Texas, which added more to its population than any other U.S. city in the year to July 2021, has already had more than a dozen days over 100 degrees. Phoenix, second on the population growth rating, has hit 104 on Tuesday. Wow, Connor. What do you think? 104 degrees in Phoenix? Well, listen, uh, you <laughs> know, that's not, yeah, that's not abnormal. In San Antonio, that may not be abnormal. But how about London, 104? I mean, we got wildfires, not just in those places, but Western Spain and, and France. And we talked about that at the beginning of the show. You're, you're headed to France and there's some wildfires in the Western part of the country. And the UK is experiencing record But heat. why is The Guardian, you know, which obviously I'm reading, is they're literally writing an article about things that are completely normal, okay? Like a dozen wildfires from Texas to California to Alaska at this time of year, 12. That's not exactly the apocalypse. And neither is, this whole thing is just ridiculous. Guys, we have air conditioning, okay? Maybe turn it up a degree to deal with the heat. Lot to unpack here, right? The newspaper Paul just read, The Guardian. No surprise that they would have climate change alarmism as one of their their tenets of their their publication. But we need to ask the question: Is there a crisis now? Last month was the coolest June we've had in twenty years, but the twenty first century has been by far some of you know as long as we've been keeping these records, which probably only goes back a couple hundred years, the, you know, this last decade was, I think, the largest on record. Again, we don't know the history of the Earth. It goes back millennia. Millennia is billions of years. Billions. So 200 years is literally a, a speck. It's like statistically zero for the whole length of the Earth. True. And we don't know 
we don't know what that graph, how it goes up and down, right? We know we had an ice age. We know, you know, we're experiencing a, a warm spat here, but our president and many people in Europe and certainly some of these globalists believe that drastic action needs to be taken. What are your thoughts on this, Paul? Uh, I think this is normal uh, alarmism from the left. They love to have an existential crisis for anything. If you remember back, I remember when I was a kid, acid rain was going to melt all our skin. I remember the the hole and the, the evil hole in the ozone layer uh, from greenhouse gases, that hole in the ozone layer over Antarctica, which was just horrible. And then somehow it just closed for no reason. And then there was another ozone layer hole that opened. Then I remember Al Gore in the early 2000s saying that there was going to be no uh, ice in the North Pole uh, by 2013 or 2014, which obviously didn't come to fruition. Look, this is more typical of the, uh, this is, they, they were predicting another ice age in, in the 1980s. This is typical of the, of the left trying to gin up these existential crises to get people scared and ginned up to vote for them and get distract them from all of their horrible economic policies. That's my opinion on this. And look, if the earth gets a little bit warmer, so be it. Air conditioning, you know, you can move to other places, but it happens slowly and gradually and we will adapt just like we adapt to anything else. And we don't know if this is man-made or not man-made. And I don't care what anybody says as far as like trust the science because the science, see how far that got us with COVID. Well, Joe Biden had a had a short week. I think he called a lid on Thursday and, and had another long weekend in Delaware. But on Wednesday, he was in Massachusetts, flanked by, I think, Edward Markey, who was one of the authors of the Green New Deal and Senator Warren. And while he was there, he was he was actually at an old coal burning plant that is being converted into a wind wind energy producer. And uh, well, let's let's just listen to what the president had to say. My mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer and why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation. Wait, so not only does he have dementia, but he has cancer too? I wonder, how's that chemo going for him? <laughs> dementia, dementia is right. Actually, this is our tweet of the week from Laverne Spicer, at Laverne underscore Spicer. She's running for Congress in Florida's 24th district, and she's got one of the best Twitter accounts going right now. I really like some of her takes Probably should have her on the show one of these times. She says, okay, the American people have a right to know if Joe Biden has cancer, all caps, or Alzheimer's. Um, that story, great tweet by Laverne, and we will try to have her on maybe maybe next week. Maybe it's, yeah, but maybe that's like a, one of those super diseases. Remember when they were talking about COVID and flu combining to making some super disease in the media? Maybe there's like this Alzheimer cancer merged you know, disease now that's going to take over the world and and cause a reason for more government intervention. <laughs> Seriously, that story, though, has changed. Last year, President Biden uh, told that same exact story about his mom and having to walk across the four-lane highway or he couldn't walk across. And it wasn't cancer, it was asthma. So clearly this guy is gone. But while he was there in Massachusetts, he talked about taking some money out of... He's either gone or he has every disease ever known to mankind all at once. Well, we know his son probably has some diseases that <laughs> we, we don't want to talk about on this, on this family program. Um, but while he was in Massachusetts, he, he, he gave out some money. He talked about FEMA giving money to provide air conditioning for people in some of the hotter parts of the country. This was a token amount. But he, he vowed... Because Joe Manchin from a coal-producing state would not end the filibuster to take drastic climate action, so he vowed that he would be taking his own action. And we've seen this time and time again with President Obama and, and now President Biden, where they're just going to use their pen and try to, to dictate action. But a lot of people are concerned about this, Paul, because people are talking about things like getting rid of fossil fuels entirely, people having to go to electric cars people having to not eat meat 
and maybe even, you know, crazy things like eating insects. It's funny because people like, you know, it was revealed this past week that John Kerry's private jet, since he's been the climate czar under this president, has emitted more than like 360 metric tons or million, I don't know the exact, that's it. we'll have to look it up, but an insane amount of carbon. And the president, even when he goes to Massachusetts, the number of jets required for his security detail, et cetera, like well, the guy Schultz in the World Economic Forum, he's not going to stop eating meat. They're going to ask the peons to make all these changes for climate change. And I, you know, I, whatever the Biden administration is considering, it's probably unconstitutional and it's probably not good for us. Well, I'm sure that the elites like Nancy Pelosi and uh, people from the Davos, they're going to probably have some private Wagyu beef farm in secret somewhere that, uh, you know, they sit up in an ivory tower like Do Dr. Evil eating, eating their Wagyu beef while uh, you and I eat Soylent Green. <laughs> if you, you guys remember that movie from the seventies, <laughs> I hope, but, the, <laughs> but they, they, uh, you know, this, this, this whole idea is crazy. And, and you said Ed Markey, the, the Senator that was with him, he's calling, uh, for Biden to declare an emergency and stop all fossil fuel extraction in the United States. These guys are lunatics. Listen, the things that they're proposing, wind and solar, right, the renewable energy sources, those don't exactly work either. There was a big hearing this past week. And, uh, well, first, let's give you one little excerpt of the hearing. The Secretary of Transportation, and I think this was the House Subcommittee on Transportation and Infrastructure, there was a lot of discussion about gasoline prices and, you know, the impacts of climate, et cetera. And here is our Secretary of infrastructure, Pete Buttigieg, responding to some harsh questioning from some Republican legislatures. Let's listen to this. I'm still astonished that, that some folks, uh, and, and uh, I felt this uh, testifying in Congress yesterday, um, some folks seem to really uh, struggle to let go of the status quo. I know some other people that were upset about the changing of the, the status quo. I'm sure that, that the uh, ordinary Russians, as the uh, Bolshevik revolution was happening. We're a little upset about the status quo. I bet the uh, changing, I bet the Jews in Germany in the 1930s were probably upset at the status quo changing. So uh, I don't understand what Mayor Pete is getting at there. Does he take us all for idiots? Well, he does. And, and how this clown ever got considered as, I think he won a primary in the 2020 Democratic primary race, um, it's just beyond me. But he is referring to the idea of electric vehicles. This guy should this guy should go and get a job as Chevy's chief salesman for EVs because that's all he's been doing of late. And he was given he was grilled by some of these members on the House uh, Transportation Committee, and they were he's like, why doesn't everybody just get electric cars? And one of the representative said, well, because the average cost of one is is $59,000. And Buttigieg is like, well, I don't know where you get that figure. A Chevy Volt is 26. And if you want to get a, a pickup truck, that's going to be like 42 or something like that. Which you can't even get those cars. <laughs> you can't even really get those. Those are like sticker prices, but they're having all kinds of production problems and they're not even available. And even more, Elon Musk has said this time and time again, that our electric grid is not even ready to take on all these vehicles. If everybody had an EV, the entire electric grid would crash because of all the energy generation requirements. And that's what you're seeing all of in Texas and California and other places. It's not the climate, it's extra electric vehicles. And look, I love electric vehicles, but at the same time, we've got to get our entire nation's infrastructure ready to handle that. And you've got to make them affordable for people. And Mayor Pete in his ivory tower just doesn't seem to understand any of that, which is why I don't understand why he's secretary of transportation. And the secretary of energy and one of those recent uh, one of those congresswomen up in Michigan recently was like, oh, you guys just need to get electric vehicles. I love mine. I just drove home. To, I just drove back to D.C. and back and, uh, you know. I didn't have to pay anything per gallon. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And it's like the ordinary American is getting crushed by the Biden economy and they can't afford electric vehicles. One other thing, all of these renewable sources that they talk about and solutions, 
there's an additional cost that they really don't talk about. Now, Thomas Massey in that hearing told Buttigieg that if this is a Republican out of Kentucky, he's one of the best members of Congress. He said that if the average household plugged in electric cars, it would take four times more electricity to charge their cars as would be used on air conditioning. Texas is going through a big wind energy transformation, and they the wind is not generating enough power to keep the grid up. And California is going big on solar. You know, I used to have a home in California, and, and everybody was getting solar panels installed about 20 years ago. Well, those panels only last about 20 years. And when they need to be replaced, well, they basically go into landfills. Only about one in 10 users of those things recycle them, and they are highly pollute. I mean, they've got a lot of polluting metals and things like that. So there are impacts to the environment with some of these non-renewable sources. And I, I don't know, I agree with you on the electric vehicles, but we can't crush ordinary Americans or just unilaterally impose solutions on the peasants while the elite continue to jet around in their G6s. Look, let's let's be honest here. These electric vehicles and all of that, they're all fine and good, but why does everything that the government touches completely fall apart? There's unintended consequences to every single government decision, and this is no different. Uh, and they didn't even think about it. They just make these proclamations, they do it, and there end up being consequences. Government needs to be small. They need to get out of it. They need to let the market decide. There's obviously a market for electric vehicles. Let it grow as it needs to grow. Don't don't continue to keep pushing everything so hard and causing all these unintended consequences because that's what these big government liberals always do. And we got to listen to the visionaries, people like Elon Musk, and not idiots like John Kerry and Greta Thunberg and wait, you left what Paul you left Paul Runyon out. I'm a visionary too. You need to, people need to listen to me. I think you are, and um, your vision is taking you to France this week. And while I sit here and hold down the fort in uh, 105 degree temperatures, Paul, closing thoughts. Well, my closing thoughts on this are: don't pay attention to these hysterical climate headlines. If it gets hot, run your air conditioning. If it gets cold, turn on the heat live your life. It's not a big deal. Focus on what's around you. Don't listen to these liberal politicians trying to scare you into voting for them. That's good advice. Uh, my closing thoughts, just to say thank you guys for listening. We're now on YouTube at the Midnight Ride Podcast, on Twitter at Midnight Ride Pod. You can DM us there or email us at the Midnight Ride Podcast at gmail.com. Tell a friend if you support our mission, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week on the Midnight Ride Podcast with Paul Runyon and Connor Coughlin. Have a great week, everybody. Try to stay cool.